0: First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. We're going to pick up in verse ten, <clears throat> and we'll see where God takes us today. Cool, man. This little section right here. What happened? All right. Well, guys, um, this morning I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Man, we spent a ton of time in 2022 walking through one sermon series. Uh, We walked through the book of Hebrews together, and we did that with the intention of, if y'all will think back that far, we kind of opened up last year with the idea and the concept of knowing God's Word, because God's Word is where the power of God uh, acts in our lives. It challenges us. It convicts us. It encourages us. It fills us up to overflowing. And so we really spent the better part of last year just diving deeply into one book of the Bible and kind of studying it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And we were in Hebrews for a long, long time. We hit a couple other kind of random sermon series in there. We paused for a series on prayer and a couple other pieces. But Um, This year, as we kick this year off, 2023 off, um, we're going to begin this year talking about stewardship, and this is across the board, all three of our service times, our traditional service in the sanctuary is talking about the same thing, Uh, Antonio today will be talking about the same thing, but we're going to take the next three weeks and just touch on the idea of stewardship for a little while, Uh, but then I want you to know where we're headed in February, because uh, honestly, I enjoy talking about stewardship, but I much, much more enjoy Uh, what we're going to be talking about in February. And so in February, we're going to dive deep into the topic of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does that look like to truly follow him? Uh, What are we called to do as disciples when it comes to people around us who don't know who Jesus is? Uh, How do we walk through life with them in that? And so I want to encourage you, February is going to be a strong month focused on discipleship uh, on Sunday mornings. But there's also going to be another resource uh, that we want to offer to you guys. And so Roger Saunders, uh, which is a member of our traditional service, uh, but he's also our, uh, our discipleship guy, uh, has written a 28-day devotional guide to go along with our sermon series. And so beginning the last Wednesday in January and that last Sunday in January, uh, there will be print copies of that available, but we will also have digital copies of that. So if you'd rather just look at it on your phone, uh, we'll have that available for you as well. Uh, but beginning that last week of January, those will become available with the idea that on February 1st, all of us together walk through 28 days focused on this idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that'll be available, like I said, that last week of January. Looking forward to that. Uh, those sermon topics each Sunday in February. We'll focus on that same topic and idea. Uh, But here's what I want you to get out of that as we walk through that together. Um, We can't just preach a sermon, do a devotional guide, and say, Wow, that was great. Thanks for teaching us about what the Bible says about discipleship. The challenge has to become that when we get through that series, when we get through that devotional guide, when we've got the idea in our mind, the knowledge in our hearts of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus— we then have to turn and apply it. And so I'm going to challenge us as we walk through February together, not to just sit and read a good devotion and not to just show up on Sunday and listen to hopefully a good message on discipleship, but really to take that and go, what is God asking me to do in 2023 when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And that's the question that we've got to answer together uh, as we walk through that series. So have that in your mind already. Begin praying through that. Um, Antonio, by the way, is leading the Spanish service uh, through 21 days of fasting leading into that. Um, And so if you want to jump in on that, send Antonio a text message and get the info from him. Uh, He's putting a big focus on that with that group. I'm excited to see where that goes with them. We did a fast together back in July, um, and that was good if you participated in that. Uh, but man, just really begin praying through, God, what do you have for me on this topic of discipleship as we walk into February together? But this morning, we ain't in discipleship, we are in the idea of stewardship. And so uh, we're going to dive into First Chronicles chapter 29 this morning uh, and pick up in verse 10. Let's read it together, and then we'll begin to discuss 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth. It is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we been or excuse me, have we given back to you? For we are strangers before you and sojourners, uh, as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. We can't make it any longer. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls and 1,000 rams and 1,000 lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on the day, on that day, excuse me, with great gladness. Let's pray over the reading of God's Word together. God, we thank you for these pages that we get to freely open, Father, and we thank you for placing us into this country and this place where, God, we don't have to have fear of uh, soldiers busting in the back door and uh, telling us that we can or cannot uh, study this word or pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And, God, we thank you for that blessing this morning. But, Father, we thank you beyond just the blessing of our country and the freedoms that we have, God, we thank you uh, for this word that speaks freedom into our heart and into our soul. God, that as we look to its pages, God, we experience uh, not just words written by man, but words inspired by God himself. And so this morning, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it teaches and instructs. And we pray this morning, Father, that you would use it in our hearts and in our minds, that we would become more of the people you desire us to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. So I just want to kind of set the stage here a little bit because we picked up in the middle of a story at this point in 1 Corinthians 29. And so I want to let you know what's happened a little bit before this. King David, the guy who slayed Goliath, also the guy who cheated with Bathsheba uh, and had her husband killed, King David, who was a little shepherd boy, uh, one of many brothers who was selected to replace the evil King Saul. Uh, King David has lived a long and successful career as king over Israel. God has blessed him. He's done some great things. Uh, After he navigated some kind of treacherous pieces, um, he has gotten to a place where there is peace, at least for now, in the nation of Israel, and he is approaching the end of his life, and he's approaching that moment where he is going to give the throne to his son, Solomon. And in this moment, David has this burden on his heart. David has this thing that stirs inside of him that goes, Hey, I want to do something big before I just, you know, release this thing and don't have any say over it anymore. And so the thing that David puts on his heart and his mind, and actually it wasn't even a new stirring for David. This had been going on for a while. If you read through David's story, David has this desire to rebuild the temple of God. To create a a place, a permanent place, where God's presence can dwell with His people, where sacrifices can happen, where worship can take place, and, and where God and man can commune together. And David has it on his heart to do that, but there's a problem that as David prays over that and seeks after God around, hey, this is what I want to do, God clearly comes back to David and says, David, I thank you for the heartbeat here, but listen, uh, yes, there's going to be someone who builds me a palace one day, a temple for me to dwell in, but you're not it. You're not the guy. In fact, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. Solomon. And he gives David some reasons. Uh, one of those reasons being that David had been a man of war. David had, done, had, had killed a lot of people in his lifetime. Uh, David was kind of a rough and tumble dude. And so God says, hey, my home is going to be a place of peace, not war. And so I need a man of peace to build this for me. And, and so David is uh, declined <laughs> with the opportunity to build this palace. But David determines in his mind If I can't be the one who builds it, I'm going to at least be the one who supplies it. And so David begins this journey of looking over not only his personal resources, but over the resources of the kingdom that he's built, and he determines that he is going to give a certain amount of everything back to the building of the temple. In fact, if we were to back up into the latter parts of chapter 28 and the early parts of chapter 29 that we skipped over this morning, you would read a list of all of the things that David gives. Gold and silver and bronze wood, uh, fabrics, uh, money in general. Uh, He gives all kinds of things. And it's again, it's not just uh, kingdom resources. He's not just walking into Israel's treasury and going, well, look at this stockpile of stuff. Let's give it all to the temple. But he's walking into his personal wallet and going, hey, man, how much am I going to give to make this thing happen? And David pours himself out for something that he's not even ever going to benefit from. David will die before the temple is ever built. And I think about that story, and, and one of the first things that comes to my mind this morning uh, is, is even what's happened inside of the life of this church. When we think about the story of the church at West Gannon, kind of where we've come, I, I want to deviate for a second on the idea of, of Scripture. I just want to just paint a picture for what's happening right now, like in this moment, in this room, and, and across this facility. What happened in this place 10 years ago was that a group of people sitting 100 feet from us right now in the other sanctuary said, Hey, we know that we're not going to be here to see the fruition of what God is trying to do here. And so we're going to take from our own wallets and we're going to take from the treasury of our church and we're going to reinvest into something that someone else is going to build and someone else is going to benefit from. And then we're just going to trust God with what that's going to look like. And man, we have seen God bless and God grow through our Spanish service. Guys, last week in our Spanish service, our Spanish service was the largest service we had all weekend long last weekend. They had over 50 people here in the Spanish service last week. It's crazy town. It's just growing leaps over it. Back in the summer, they were averaging 30. So they've grown by 20 people on average. That's crazy town, just in six months. Like, God is blessing in that. We've had families join our church. We've seen all this new life come. We're starting to see new things come back out. We're also starting to see some old ministries that were good be resurrected and reengaged in, like our men's breakfast that's coming up. Man, we're starting to see all that happen, but I got to see just a beautiful picture of that just literally a few moments ago before I walked in this room. I I always go into the traditional service and make announcements for them and kind of meet and greet a little bit just to show my face and love on them for a few minutes. And this morning was kind of a tough day for that service time because as I got up to make announcements, I had to make one that is not the most exciting one to make. I had to call Pastor Marshall up onto the stage, the man who has led that congregation faithfully for 10 years. And We had to announce together his retirement. And so on March 12th, Marshall will have his last Sunday with us as a church body, and we got to make that formal announcement. But here's what was so beautiful about that, even in the grieving of, man, this guy that we love and how he's poured out and invested, is that, man, Marshall knew 10 years ago when he took this church on a journey that he was going to be pouring into something that he was never going to get the benefit from. Marshall was living out the life of King David that we read in this passage. Marshall was literally just, he was David going, hey, I'm not the one who's going to get to build it. There's a Chris and there's an Antonio that are going to get to build this thing and see the benefits of it year over year, but I'm kind of on my way out and I'm not just going to go out and just, phase out, but I'm going to, man, I'm going to bless and I'm going to set the stage and I'm going to lay a strong foundation so that these things can continue to go. And man, it is a blessing to have a King David and a King Marshall to look up to, King Marshall, and to have a guy like Marshall to look up to where we can go, man, what a guy, what a person who understands that stewardship is about so much more than what I get out of it. And that's where I want to begin this morning as we talk about this idea of stewardship is that David paints a picture for us here of what stewardship really is. And stewardship is not about, hey, can I keep all the boxes checked that God tells me to check so that I can get the blessings back out of it for me. And so many times that's what stewardship gets painted as. Hey, make sure you write your tithe check so that God will bless you this week in your bank account. right? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, okay, Whatever stewardship is so much deeper than that stewardship is so much more than just money and how we handle finances it is this idea that there is a kingdom work that is happening and God has gifted us with resources to care for and to grow that ministry and the question is how will we do it and for David in this season of his life it was the fact that he knew he was never going to get to lay a single brick of that temple but God had blessed him already with resources to be able to say, I'm going to make sure it's provided for. I'm going to take care of it. Where we picked up in this passage in 1 Chronicles 29, when we picked up in verse 10, we picked up in David's prayer. David is literally about to give Solomon the crown. In fact, that will happen at the opening parts of, uh, or really the end of the chapter that we read, chapter 29. He will literally die. The crown will be handed to his son Solomon and David prays, and he asks God for some specific things, and I want you to hear about these things that David asked for. I want you to see this heart of stewardship from David's perspective, and I want you to see the outcome of it, because there's kind of a surprise ending to this thing that we'll get to in just a little bit but here's what I want you to know about stewardship. If you're taking notes and you want a definition of stewardship, this isn't the greatest uh, streamlined definition in the world, but here's what I have written down in my notes. Um, Stewardship is not about how we manage resources. That may be a little different definition than what you've heard about with stewardship. Stewardship is not about how we manage resources. It is about how we make much of God Through the things he has blessed us with. That's a subtle but drastic change in the way that we understand things. It's not about managing resources, it's about making much of God with the things he's blessed me with. Because, see, if we just approach this from the perspective of managing resources, do you know what we become? We become spiritual accountants. That's what we become. Where did the dollars go? How did the resources get used? What's the gym look like? Did we take, did we take care of that facility? Did we care for our staff well? Like did we make payroll this week? Did we do what we need to do? Did we did we care for our community financially speaking? And 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 what's the bottom line? How are we doing? That's what it becomes, and even beyond the church perspective, when we look at stewardship as individuals, it becomes, hey, I need to to be a penny pincher, and I need to be a one who has a constant eye and a vigilant eye on how my resources are being used, and if, if I think that it's being used in any way that is wasteful or just doesn't make sense, then God has called me to be a better steward than that. But sometimes God calls us not to be penny pinchers and to keep an eye on the bottom line, But to do crazy things that will grow his kingdom. I want you to think about the miracles that you've seen in scripture and in your own life. Those moments when we see God show up in big ways, it's not because we hoarded something and not because we evaluated it 20,000 times, not because we used earthly wisdom to determine what makes the most sense. It's not when we weighed our options and went, "Hey, what's what's my best option here?" It's when we took a step of faith and went, "God, I know you're calling me here, and so I'm going to step out in faith in that, and I'm going to trust you with the outcome, no matter what that looks like financially, no matter what that looks like for my family, no matter what that looks like for our church, we are going to step out in faith. See, stewardship has to be much more than just did we look at the bottom line. It has to be have we used the resources God has blessed us with in such a way that we have grown God's kingdom in the way that God desires us to grow it. And that is a subtle but significant change. We still have to care about the bottom line. We don't want to run out of money here, guys. (laughs) We don't want to destroy the facility that God has blessed us with. We want to care for it. But the truth is, we want to care for it because we know that this is something God has blessed us with to be able to further his kingdom. We're going to be walking into a building project here in the near future, hopefully, with this gym, renovating it. And we could look at that and we could go, man, we got to raise a bunch of money to make this happen. Or we could look at that and we could realize that God has blessed us with an abundant resource to reach families in our community. And we need to be about taking care of what He's given us, but not just taking care of it, making sure floors are mopped and walls are painted, but taking care of it, using it for the furtherment of God's kingdom. How is that resource being used? Sometimes that might mean a wall gets scuffed, Or a floor gets dirty. But that's not bad stewardship. It's actually good stewardship. So I wanna see David's heartbeat here. Let's jump right in. Look with me at verse 10 and 11, where we picked up this morning in chapter 29. It begins this way Therefore, David blessed the Lord. Let's pause there for a second. Have you ever thought about what it means to bless the Lord? I'm like, how do we bless the Lord? I'm like, we talk about how God blesses us, right? Where it's like, man, we got a little bit of extra money in our pocket this week. Or we got, uh, man, a relationship was restored that was lost. Or, man, God just pours out in our lives somehow. And we talk about, man, what a blessing it is that God gave us something that we couldn't have done for ourselves. But then the question becomes, if blessing is just someone doing something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves or going over and above beyond for us, how is it that we do that for a God who is infinitely resourced. You can't give God something that he doesn't already have. You can't bless God beyond where he already is. And so what is the idea of blessing God? Uh, I went to research this a little bit and was just curious of what other people thought in this. And basically it boiled down to something really simple. Blessing God is not giving him something that he can't get on his own, but it is giving him something that he truly deserves. It is our praise and our adoration. When we give God. Praise. We are blessing him, and that is exactly what we're going to see David do. He says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, here it is, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David opens up this season of transition in his life with worship. So I want you to hear that there are three heartbeats this morning we're going to focus on, three heartbeats of stewardship. The first one of those is that worship is always at the heart of biblical stewardship. Worship is always at the heart of biblical stewardship. Whether we're talking about money, facilities, whether we're talking about resources that you have as a family, whether we're talking about your talents and abilities and how you steward them, worship has to be at the core of what you're doing. Otherwise, stewardship is non-existent. You're just a biblical accountant. So we got to worship. David turns and he he exalts God for something. And what I want you to hear in this is, man, David doesn't hold back in this moment. David is literally recognizing uh, just who God really is. And, and I, I read verse 11 over and over again in my mind. I'm like, goodness gracious, David. You just literally just poured it out there. Yours, o Lord, o Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And he just keeps going. It's like he just can't stop. It just begins to pour out of him. And once he starts, it's just like like, ah, I just got to talk about who God is, but what it boils down to when we get to the end of that verse is that David has given God credit for literally everything. Power, majesty, glory, possessions, victories, wins in battle, like every bit of it, David turns and he says, God, before I do anything, let's get something straight. All of this stuff is yours. And he worships God for the greatness that God has. And he is great because it's all his. He doesn't just do that in 10 and 11, though. You could skip down to verse 13. He does it again. He says, and now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. You could skip down to verse 20 and 21. It does it again. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. Man, these people are getting it. They're starting to understand that all of this stuff they have, all the incredible things they've seen God do through the life of David and through the nation of Israel, it's all because of this God that they serve. And I wonder how many times we go a full week with blessing upon blessing without pausing for just a moment to go, man, God, this is all yours. I get in my car and I crank it up. God, this car is yours. I walk through the hallways of my home and the bedrooms and the, the living room and the kitchen and I go, God, this is all yours. I walk through the hallways of this church and I go, God, this is all yours from the floor tiles to the ceiling tiles and the brick on the wall. God, it is all yours. And we should walk through our daily lives just constantly in this lifestyle of worship, praising God for every blessing he gives us. The other night I was having a little bit of trouble sleeping. I posted this on Facebook. I don't know, it was around 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was just, I, my mind was racing, and I had a thousand things going on, and um, was just, I just couldn't fall asleep. I was wide awake, and I knew it was going to be a while before things calmed down and I could drift off. And so um, my, my wife's, one of my wife's favorite movies is uh White Christmas. Uh, if y'all have ever seen that, it's got Bing Crosby and several other crazy guys in it. Uh, uh, I love watching them dance, though, man. I'm, I'm a little bit old school in that. I just like the tap dance and stuff and the, like, singing in the rain. Did y'all ever watch Singing in the Rain? That, that whole, yeah, man. Well, not that not that singing in the rain. That's a, di- that's a different dance. Um, so, um, But no, man, I just love watching these guys do their thing. It's crazy. But in White Christmas, there's this song where uh, Bing Crosby, the character that he plays in that, uh, and this girl that he's kind of got a love interest with, uh, they find themselves both awake at night, and they walk down to the kitchen of the hotel they're staying in, and they're just kind of hanging out, talking about why they can't sleep. And then he sings this song, and the name of the song is Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. I'm not going to sing it for you. You can YouTube it later. All right, so Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep, but the lyrics go something like this. Uh, when you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. He does that way more creatively than I can. All right, but the point of the song is. That, hey, man, when we're worried and stressed and all this stuff is going on, we got to take our focus off of the stuff and we got to put our focus on what we've been blessed with so that our hearts and our minds will kind of calm down. And Bing Crosby wasn't exactly the most shining example of Christianhood, but doggone it, he got it right with the lyric of this song. He got it right. Because, man, I paused the other night when I was struggling to sleep. I remembered that movie. I remembered that lyric or that song. And I just paused and I thought, I'm just going to start thinking about the things God has blessed me with. And, y'all, I didn't even make it back like two or three days in my mind before I was like, dude, God, you are so good. Like, man, do you understand what God has done like, holy moly, and I almost got, like, almost more wide awake because I was so excited, like, praising God. And, like, Lindsay was out cold and uh, laying on the couch, falling asleep, watching a movie. And I'm in the, uh, the dining room. I've got my Bible out in front of me, and I'm just like, this is crazy. I'm just, like, praising God for all this stuff because God is blessed. He's poured out. It's just incredible. And, and this overwhelming sense of joy began to pour out of me. And before I knew it, man, my heart was at rest. My mind was at Peace. Because God has blessed, and man, we've got to understand that one of these first heartbeats of stewardship is that, gosh, we got to worship God. And when we quit worshiping Him, when we quit recognizing the blessings in our lives, is when we begin to focus on all the stuff that's going wrong. And when we begin to focus on all the stuff that's going wrong and all the curses and all the whatever, the junk that's in our lives, man, it gets rough. David, at the end of his life, wants to communicate some strong principles to the people of God, and he says to them, first and foremost, we're going to be a people who worship. As we steward these resources, we're going to praise God and understand that we have nothing except that God gave it to us, which is what takes me to the second heartbeat of stewardship. Generosity is always at the heart of biblical stewardship generosity is always at the heart of biblical stewardship. David writes these verses in 10 and 11. He says, man, I'm going to praise God for all that you have. And, but then he turns his attention to what God has done with those resources. Look with me at verse 12. He says this, both riches and honor, they come from you, God. And you rule over all in your hand, our power and might. And in your hand, It is to make great and to give strength to all. What's the heartbeat of God and how he stewards his resources? He gives, he gives and he gives generously. He doesn't hold anything back from us. In fact, we could go to the New Testament and we could study about the things that that Paul writes about in the New Testament. He says, man, God is a good God who knows how to give good gifts to his children. uh, That when we pray, God gives in abundance, man. uh, we We could look at the passages of Solomon asking for wisdom later on in Scripture. And it says that God is a good God who gives out of abundance and he gave Solomon wisdom. Right? Like, God gives, and He gives, and He gives. There is no one more generous in this world than God, and who is it that we are supposed to resemble? (laughs) God. It is His heartbeat that we're supposed to share. And so, if God is a God of infinite resources, and He says that what I have is yours, then what does that say of us as people who are to steward the resources God gives us? We are to do the same. God, what's in what you've blessed us with, we bless others with generously. We take care of those around us, whether that's our immediate family or friends or neighbors or people from our community. We always live a lifestyle of generosity. Stinginess is not a word in God's vocabulary. And if it isn't in God's vocabulary, it can't be in ours either. There's a third heartbeat, though. He continues on. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. He says this, But who am I? (laughs) This is David speaking. Who am I, God? And what is my people (laughs) that we should be able thus to offer willingly? In other words, he says, Man, we've given all this stuff, God. All this money, the gold, the bronze, the silver, the wood, all this stuff. Not only David is doing that, but people are starting to do that. And he says, Who are we that we're able to even do this, God? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given back to you. David, in this moment, teaches people what it looks like to remain humble. Always, at the heartbeat of biblical stewardship, you will find humility. The understanding that what we have isn't ours, the, the things I've accumulated, it has nothing to do with my talents and my abilities. The money in my bank account has nothing to do with how great I am at anything. It has everything to do with how wonderful God is and how He has blessed and taken care of my family, how He has provided me with resources, how He has placed gifts and talents inside of me to be used for the furtherment of His kingdom, uh, how He has grown this church in years past and continues to grow it today, how He has done incredible things. All of that, we have to turn that back to Him and we have to remain humble in what we're doing and recognize, man, who are we? <laughs> Who am I, God, (laughs) that you've given me this? There is nothing that will do a heart check more in that than for you to go on a missions trip. If you haven't done that ever in your life, I would challenge you this year, figure out a way to go somewhere on a missions trip, go live with some people for a week or two and invest in their lives, but go somewhere where they are under-resourced and underprivileged and just spend some time with them. And you will find out very quickly that your heart begins to change in that, where you begin to go, man, look at at us, man. Look at this beautiful facility that holds over 500 people and does all this. Look at my home and my possessions and my cars. All of a sudden, you'll start to change in that, and you'll begin to look at that, and you'll begin to go, God, why have you blessed me with that? So I'm sitting here in this house with these people, man. There were places in Brazil that I went to, guys, man, that were, oh my goodness, we were out in the jungle, man. And... uh, we walked through these villages that were literally mud huts. Like, li- like that's not like exaggeration. That Literally, you walk in and it's like there's mud walls to this thing, and it is one room with a family of ten. Like, not one bedroom, one room. <laughs> that's their living room, their kitchen, their bedroom, their dining room, their playroom, their toy room, their everything that you've got in your house happens in a ten by ten square. And you go, God, who am I that you would bless me with the home that I have? Who am I, God, that you would allow me to, be, to live in this country with freedom and the ability to make money and provide for my family the way that I do? God, who am I that that would be the case? And this family over here has Nothing. And then I go to Poland and I spend time in this, this place called the, um, the Triangle in Poland. And it's basically the Triangle in Poland was uh, the city that I was in, at least when World War, uh, the World Wars were going on, specifically World War II. Uh, Poland was invaded by Germany and they were sacked, man. I mean, they were just destroyed. And they took all the Polish people and they moved them into really small ghettos, little city blocks where they could keep them in control and they could control all the resources that went in and out of those places. And when World War II was done and Germany got booted out of Poland, the only people who were able to move back out of those ghettos were the people who had come from wealth originally. But if you were poor walking into that, you didn't have the ability to move back out of it and rebuild what you had before. And so literally these people just got like hundreds and thousands of people got left in these ghettos with nothing. And you walk through these, pit, these places still today, You can get on a plane with me right now and I'll fly you to Poland. We'll go into Wrocław. We'll walk into the Triangle and I will walk you into the homes of these these people. We will walk into their apartment buildings and you literally have to skip steps. There's no elevators in these apartment buildings. You have to skip steps because there are literally boards missing out of the steps that these little kids run up and down every single day. And you will walk up these steps and you'll knock on a door of a family of five or six who are living in a one-room apartment who share a bathroom with everybody else on their hall because they don't have a private bathroom and they can't afford to get out of the situation that they're in. And you will walk into that apartment with me and you'll look back on your life here and you'll go, who am I, God? Who am I? David walks into this transition between him and Solomon and he goes, God, who who are we? That you've blessed us this way, God. That you've protected this nation of Israel, God. That you've provided victory after victory, God. Who are we that we deserve that? And man, I think we all need a little dose of reality sometimes to look at the living situations that we're in and the, the challenges that we face and to look at that and go, man, this really isn't that bad. It's actually really good. We've been blessed, and who are we to deserve that? Humility is always at the heartbeat of biblical stewardship. Because when we recognize we've been blessed, when we recognize that, man, we're we're insignificant in light of this thing, all of a sudden, the stuff we have, the possessions we've got, all of a sudden, we begin to live a little bit more open-handed with that stuff. All of a sudden, we start to go, man, you need something? I got you, bro. God's blessed me. And I don't deserve it. Oh, you need, oh, let me provide this for you. Let me walk through this with you. And it's not always just about resources of money. and, and, that, and Sometimes it's just time and spending it with people and going, man, gosh, I, God's given me a flexible schedule right now. Let me love people and walk through life with them. But it will always come out of the heartbeat of humility and recognizing that what we have is not because of us. It all belongs to God. I told you there was a twist at the end, so let's get to it. David voices this prayer of worship and generosity and humility, proclaiming all these wonderful attributes of God and declaring to the people of Israel, this is who we've got to be moving forward. Then we get down to verse 20. Read that back with me again. So then David said to the assembly, "Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, and look at these numbers: a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness now you first read these numbers, and here was my first instinct when I look at this and go, all right, David gets the whole nation of Israel involved in this thing now. And he's like, hey, guys, let's praise God. And they're like, we got it, David. Let's start making some sacrifices. And they pull out a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs and sacrifice every bit of them. Uh, they use the blood for the sacrif- sacrificial worship and the meat they eat. And I'm going, man, that sounds like a ton of food to me, man. I'm like, a thousand bulls? You realize how much meat that is? So I text Will yesterday and was like, hey, Will, how many people does a deer serve? Like, if you go in the woods today, shoot a deer, have it butchered, harvest the meat off that thing, how many meals would that provide? And he shot me back some numbers, and he was like, I'm not really sure exactly, but here's what I've always heard. And I was like, cool, here's what it boiled down to. Off of a normal-sized deer, if I did my math correctly, you're going to feed about 200 people off of one deer, 200 meals, all right? So it, you feed, uh, maybe you feed one person more than once, but whatever, 200 meals is what you're going to get out of it, all right? Then I thought, okay, but a deer's kind of small, so let's think about a bull. A bull's a lot bigger, right, than a deer. It's got a little bit more beef to it, all right, literally. <laughs> y'all, y'all. <laughs> all right, so he's bigger, all right. And so I Googled and was like, hey, how many meals come off of a bull? And it was about 450 meals, single servings of meat that you can get off of a full-grown bull. All right, so let's just take that math and let's work that out a little bit, All right. I looked up the population of Israel during the time of David's reign. There's about 5 million people in the nation of Israel at this point that David is ruling over. The amount of meat that they sacrificed between 3,000 animals was only enough to provide meat for about half of the population of Israel. About half. Why is that significant? That's significant because you read these verses and you go, Holy smokes, 3,000 animals? Y'all, I got a lot of animals down at my house, okay? I got some chickens, I got a couple rabbits, all right? I got a couple dogs and a couple cats. We used to have more animals, but one of our dogs ate some of our chickens, all right? So, we're where we're we're at, all right? So, we got a lot of animals down there, but I don't have 3,000 animals. I can't even picture in my mind what would have to take place in a day to sacrifice 3,000 animals, to harvest that meat, to cook it, to provide for people. I can't even fathom that. And so I read this passage, and without studying that a little bit, I go, man, David and Israel, great job, man. Y'all just gave out of abundance, and holy smoke, I can't even imagine doing this. It's so incredible. They didn't even provide for half of their people. Not even half of them. But reread the verse. Verse 21, they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day they offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, and with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Half of them got to eat and drink that day with great gladness? Nope. They ate whole nation of Israel feasted on a meal that was only prepared for half of them. You know what happens when we become good stewards of the things God has given us? He multiplies every time every time God will take those resources that we think we're, we're just trying to manage, right? Like He takes all those things that we're trying to penny pinch on and he takes that heartbeat and if we do that in the right heartbeat of let me get off of managing and penny pitching to just let me worship and let me give to God and let me give generously and let me remain humble in that when we do those things man, God shows up and he takes that little bit that we've got and he multiplies it and uses it not only in our lives but in the lives of everyone around us the entire nation of Israel ate and drank that day and were filled with gladness because of it you want to find joy in life live a life of good stewardship you want to find gladness in what you do you want to see God multiply your efforts be a good steward and that doesn't mean penny pension and hoarding it means recognizing that all you have is from God that generosity is always at the heartbeat of who God is. And that we've got to remain humble in how we, how we operate. So how will we do that as a church? How will we do that as individuals? How will we do that as families? It's things we've got to pray through. But I can tell you that as I lead this church and as we continue to push forward, stewardship will always be at the heartbeat of how we make decisions, not penny-pinching but living a life of faith, saying, God, you gave us this. How can we use it for your kingdom? I want to pray for you guys. And then uh, Duncan and Wes are going to come lead us in another song or two. And uh, we'll close out our morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to recognize, man, God, that we are really insignificant in light of who you are. We can puff ourselves up all we want to. We can, uh, we can try to um, twist what we've done in this life to suit our own needs and make ourselves think we're something. But the truth is, God, we've got to get back to a place where David was of recognizing that none of what we have and none of who we are, God, would ever be a thing <laughs> except that we serve a God who, is, who owns it all who's infinitely resourced and who gives generously to us, God. And so, Father, we get an opportunity to turn some of that back to you, whether that's our time or our energy or our finances or our homes, our cars, God, our words, whatever it may be, we get to turn some of that back to you. And so this morning, God, I just pray that That you would help us to recognize good stewardship, recognize what that looks like, and to begin to apply it to our lives. And God, keep us humble in that process that we wouldn't get so wrapped up in having to have stuff. But more importantly, we would be wrapped up in the work of your kingdom. That we would be wrapped up in being able to give stuff. We would be wrapped up in in the the kingdom call of loving people well, serving in your kingdom, so that all of our trials and tribulations, God, that they would just kind of fade away in light of the blessings you've given us and the way that we use them. So God, convict us this morning of maybe where we failed in that. Challenge us, God, to take some steps differently that when we walk out of this room, Father, we wouldn't just continue in the same mindset and the same uh, patterns of life, but God, that we would change something. Otherwise, God, this was just a waste of an hour and a half of our lives. But God, help us to walk out differently, that your kingdom would grow, and God, that you would be blessed through the process as we praise your name. God, we're going to sing a song to you now, God, and I pray that through that time, you would speak clearly to us, that we would listen and we would respond. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.